0: Amen. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Galatians chapter five. We'll start there. I um, I don't know that I really have a message this evening, but I've got some things that are stirring around in my heart. Some things that the Lord has been dealing with me about for uh, oh, I don't know, a number of weeks. I don't know exactly how long it is, and um, and it's beginning to take root. I'm not sure it's fully developed yet, but it's beginning to take root. And, and God is leading me into some things that uh, that are uh, that are new for me. Galatians chapter five. Paul is writing to the church, and, and the churches at Galatia. Galatia is a region, not a city. The churches in that area have been uh, um, visited by, and if you'll allow me to say it in this way, infected by wrong teaching. Judaizers, people that are coming in behind the the uh, work that Paul did in establishing these churches, and uh, trying to put demands upon them to keep the law of Moses in addition to believing in Jesus and so forth. And so uh, Paul is writing to correct some of it and trying to remind them that they didn't get saved by the keeping of the law. They got saved because they believed in the gospel of Jesus and got saved by faith alone. So uh, I want to pull out verse 6 out of context a little bit after having explained the context briefly. Paul says, "For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile; that doesn't cut any ice with God one way or the other. In Jesus Christ, neither circumcision avails anything but nor uncircumcision. Well, if that doesn't do it for God, what does? Well, here's what does it with God: but faith, and notice the last phrase, which worketh by love. Now, if faith works with or by love. That would mean that faith doesn't work without it, or else he wouldn't have said so. Faith." worketh by love faith worketh by love you know there's a lot of things in the bible and you can turn in your bible to john chapter 8 if you want to go ahead and get a head start i want to read something that jesus said about his own relationship with god lester summerall said something to me i i have not been uh well i've been privileged to be around a lot of people that uh, that had an impact a lot of people meaning ministers that had a significant impact on my life, but but really, when you come down to it, it's not a, uh, a whole lot of people. Three or four people have um, uh, have I only about three or four people have I had the privilege to be close enough to that that I really saw something about them. Uh, one was Brother Hagen. Another person that I've read after probably as much much or more than anybody else is Smith Wigglesworth. There's something about his ministry that just draws me. And uh, the comment that I'm going to make about Brother Hagen includes Wigglesworth as well. And then I had an opportunity to be around uh, Lester Sumrall to uh, to some degree, not uh, not real, real close, but to some degree. And I, I found out that in, in the, the three, and those, I guess, would be the top three ministers that have had an impact upon me. Those three... Um, are not who most people think they are for example a lot of people will ask me even now you know knowing having heard about my relationship with brother Hagen over the years and so forth they'll want to know well, what's he like and they want to hear stories about jesus appearing to him or him uh, laying hands on a cripple and seeing him walk and stuff like that that's what seems to excite everybody but the outstanding characteristic and thank god god used him in those ways and and had an opportunity to witness a lot of things that, uh, uh, that changed my way of thinking about what God is, who God is, and what he does. But Brother Hagen was not... Um, if I had to describe something about Brother Hagen, first and foremost, most important uh, characteristic about him was the, his love walk. And unless you were a follower of Brother Hagen, which most people were not, unless you followed him closely and heard him preach on love, Minister on love and teach uh, and which he did frequently, very often, but most people even there don't know him for his teaching on love. they know him for his teaching on faith and healing and so forth. The same thing's true of, of Wigglesworth from what I read after him, and, and uh, uh, I did have the opportunity to be around a man that knew him personally. Uh, I met him in his old age, but he was a young man when Wigglesworth was old, and, uh, and I, I, his name was George Stormont, and we had him at the church several times to minister in uh, in many years gone by he's gone to be with the Lord 20 years ago I guess now but uh, in the early days of the church we uh, we had him several times and I just pumped this guy for information tell me about Wigglesworth tell me everything about him what about the, the times where he raised the dead there was 20 some odd people uh, in Wigglesworth ministry that were raised from the dead but people argue about the number Well, when you get over 20 does it really matter you know so um, anyhow I just pumped this guy for information. I wore him out just asking him every little thing about it. And and really when you boil it down, and, and he wrote a lot of this in in the couple of books that he wrote about his relationship with Wigglesworth too, Wigglesworth was a man of, of great love. It was his love walk. Wigglesworth talked about the brokenness a lot. Well by that he meant what God had to do to him to get him to walk in love. He was a very critical and cynical person, naturally. That was his personality bend. And, uh, and that had to change for God to be able to use him. Well, even there, and, and just like the, the statement I made a minute ago, when you talk about people being raised from the dead in somebody's ministry, the first thing people start thinking about and associating with that kind of statement is the power of God. But Wigglesworth attributed the power of God that operated in him and through him, whatever God did, to his love one. Lester Sumrall was a little different. I, I saw him a little bit uh, more from a distance but had the opportunity on, oh, I don't know, maybe a dozen occasions to to be around him and and be in close-quarter, one-on-one situations with him. And uh, and he made a statement one time. Somebody asked me not too long ago about Lester Sumrall. Lester Sumrall was a man out of his time. Uh, He was a dinosaur. He was rough. He was... um, Hard in his dealings with people. That doesn't mean he was always hard, but but he just had no, he he was a no-nonsense guy. He had no time for anybody that wasn't serious about the things of God. But I heard him he make a statement one time, and and it was such a contrast because the times that I've been around uh, Brother Sumrall to the time that I spent with Brother Hagen, and and there's no comparison as far as the amount of time. Brother Hagin, hands down, I, I spent more, much more time with him. Um, but Lester Summerall made a statement one time that showed me a little bit of who he was. He said, and uh, this was in a group of ministers in a, the back room at uh, after one of the seminars at Rama, and there was a group of ministers, and all these were young guys, and... Um, um, Well, they were, they were trying to impress Brother Summerall. That That's just the only way you could describe it. And so they were talking about what God was doing with them and through them and how he was using them and stuff like that. And somebody got to talking about some ministry project that they were involved in or believing God for and trying to raise money for, whatever it was. And um, so they got to talking about the subject of faith, believing for finances, believing for ministry results, believing for this, that, and the other. And these were all well, well, well-known people. And uh, if, I, if I told you the names of the people, everybody would say, oh, yeah, I know who, exactly who that is. Every one of them was, was famous in their own right, so to speak. And, uh, and people were talking about this and that. And, and um, uh, it was a closed-door meeting type thing, and so they didn't have to really be guarded about what they said. But like I said, they, they were, uh, at least the conversation started off trying to impress Brother Summerall. And um, Brother Summerall made one statement. He said, uh, somebody made a comment about how they had been believing God for something uh, for a certain period of time and it didn't work for them the way that they wanted it to or needed it to or whatever the case was. And uh, the only thing Brother Summerall said in the whole meeting, he said, if my faith's not working, I don't stop and examine my faith. He said, I examine my relationship with God. Well, nobody had said anything about relationship with God. Everybody was talking about the nuts and bolts of faith, how faith works and what they've done and what they believe for and, and all this kind of stuff. And and I'm just a Bible school student. I don't know anything. I hadn't I was still working with Brother Hagen and so take this for whatever you think it's worth. But from my perspective, it sounded like everybody was trying to brag on what they had believed God for or what they'd accomplished or or whatever the case was. I'm not judging anybody's heart. If that's not what they meant then so be it. Like I said, you take it for whatever it's worth. But everybody was talking about the mechanics of faith. The mechanics of believing and the mechanics of confessing and, uh, and that kind of stuff. What God had spoken to them about and how they were applying it and putting their faith to it and so forth. And Lester's made that one comment. He said, if my faith's not working, I don't stop and examine my faith. I examine my relationship with God. Well, what does that tell you about a person? It tells me that they realize that faith is based on a relationship with God. That's what Paul is talking about in in Galatians chapter 5. It's not the outward appearance. It's not the outward action of circumcision or uncircumcision that makes any difference with God. It's faith which works by love. Now notice what Jesus said in John chapter 8. I told you to turn to John 8, didn't I? Let me me read a couple of verses here. Jesus is... The whole 8th chapter of John is Jesus trying to explain to the Jews, basically, who he is and what he was sent to do. And he winds up uh, saying a lot of things in this chapter that uh, the people get upset about. But I want to, um, uh, let me pick up verse 28. Jesus said unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am he. I'm reading from the King James. But if you'll notice in the King James, the word he is in italics. That means it's not there. Let me take it out and read what Jesus is really saying. They've already asked him, who are you? And he's identified that he's been sent from the Father. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am. And I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. As I said, the Jews are questioning him about who he is and who gave him the authority to do this stuff. And everybody is, throughout Jesus' ministry, you remember in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus comes to him by night. He was in the, uh, the council of the Jews and he didn't want anybody to know that he was talking to Jesus on, on the side. So he came under cover of darkness and he said, we know God's with you because nobody can do the miracles that you're doing except God be with them. And Jesus starts talking about spiritual things, being born again in spiritual things. Everybody understood that, that these miracles that are being done can't be explained other than accepting the fact, recognizing the fact that God was on Jesus' side. Now, they didn't want God to be on Jesus' side because they weren't on Jesus' side. But Jesus made statements like this a couple of times. He said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you, shall you know that I am. Remember, this is a reference to God saying to Moses when Moses said, Moses was commanded by God, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Moses said, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Who am I going to say sent me? God answered and said, I am that I am. Jesus is identifying himself as one with the Father. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am. And I do nothing of myself. But as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. Now notice verse 29. This is the one I really want you to see. And he that sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. He that has sent me is with me, and the Father has not left me alone. Now, who sent him? Of course, it was the Father. He said, God has not, God my Father has not left me alone. Why? Notice what Jesus said the reason was. For I always do, or I do always, those things that please him. Now, I want you to notice what he said. He said, my relationship with the Father is based on doing the things that please him. And that relationship makes me one with him. And that relationship is the basis for the miracles that I do. If you put what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 together with what he says here, he's saying that oneness with the Father is the foundation for the miracles in the supernatural. Now we look at that and we see Jesus and, and we can accept that Jesus always did the things that pleased the Father. No problem with that. Jesus was a man without sin. He didn't have the, the sin in his flesh like we do. Even though the Bible says he was tempted in all points like as we are, he was always tempted from the outside, not from the inside. Because there was no place that death or sin had in him in any, any form whatsoever. So we see Jesus being able to declare that he always does the things that please the Father. And we think, well, yeah, okay, sure, that's Jesus. But turn with me now over to First John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. Notice what John says. Writing to the church. Writing to you and me. Remember where we started. Faith works by love. Which means it doesn't work without it. 1 John chapter 3. Notice verse 19. John is speaking by the Holy Ghost. And he says, and hereby we know Now, skip down with me to verse twenty-one. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. No point in adding more in here than we need for the subject. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Notice what he's saying. He's saying a clear conscience. That's how your heart condemns you, isn't it? It's by your conscience, the voice of your own spirit. He said a clear conscience gives you confidence toward God. Now. What would be the one thing that would keep you from having a clear conscience? Well, the Bible says God has shed abroad his love in our hearts. And every step we take outside of love, our heart condemns us for, meaning our conscience will tell us we've done the wrong thing. Jesus said basically the same thing when he's telling us about how faith works in Mark chapter 11. He says in verse 23 that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Then verse 24 he tells us how faith works in prayer. He said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Most of the time we stop there because we're talking about the nuts and bolts of the mechanics of faith. But verse 25 is still part of the same thing that he's talking about. He said, and when you stand praying, forgive if you have all against any. That your heavenly father may forgive you also your trespasses. Now, what's he doing? He's faithful to show us the number one hindrance to faith working. He's showing us the number one hindrance. No matter what confessions you make, no matter how much you believe you receive, unforgiveness, which is a step out, any step outside of love, unforgiveness will keep your faith from working. In other words, faith works by love. And it won't work without it. Yeah, but I've been confessing forever. Pastor Mike, I've been confessing for years. I believe I receive. I've done everything that the Bible says. Well then check your relationship with God. That's what Lester's talking about. That's what Lester Summerall was referring to. If my faith's not working, I check my relationship with God. I don't examine my faith. Now why would he not examine his faith? Because he knows how faith works. He knows to say in his heart and believe he knows to believe in his heart and say with his mouth and hold fast the profession of his faith. So if your faith doesn't work in that under those conditions, it's gotta be a hindrance. There's got to be something holding it back. And Jesus told us the number one hindrance is unforgiveness. I've told you the story about the lady at camp meeting while I was working with Brother Hagin. She'd been believing God for healing for something in her body. And uh, there were morning, afternoon, and evening services. But nobody was uh, uh, laying hands on the sick like she wanted them to until the night services. And so she came to the morning service uh, during one of the weekdays. And whoever it was teaching, I don't even remember who it was that was teaching, was teaching on faith works by love, talking about the importance of of walking in forgiveness and and so forth. So she heard these things, and during the service, the Lord started quickening her. Her conscience started bothering her about her relationship with her brother. And some years before, I think it had been almost 10 years, if I remember the story correctly, some years before, however many it was, there had been a falling out between her and her brother when her mother died over the inheritance and how the money was going to be divided or used or whatever, you know, how those things go. And so she and her brother had a fallen out and they hadn't spoken to each other in these many years. So after hearing the, the uh, preacher preaching on the, the the need and necessity of forgiveness for your faith to work and so forth, she got to thinking, you know, I need to clear that up. This has been too long. I haven't thought about this in a long time and this has brought it back to my remembrance I don't care anymore. It's been so long ago. I don't care about the money, but I do care about my brother. Now, this was back in the early 80s when there weren't any such thing as cell phones. So she left a meeting in the convention center at Tulsa, Tulsa's convention center. She left a meeting and went out and got, a, got on a pay phone. And she called her brother. She had the, the um, don't know the number she had. She didn't know if it was good, but it turned out to be good. Talked to him on the phone. Wound up speaking on the phone for 45 minutes. She talked to him, and, and they almost got in a fight about whose fault it was for not contacting the other one and, and making up and all that kind of stuff. So they they just agreed to take an equal share. It's just as much your fault as it is mine. Let's see each other. I'd like to come out and see your family and, and so forth. So anyway, they patched things up. Spent about 45 minutes on the payphone. She did. Patched things up. Well, now it's a little bit afternoon. So if she decides I'm going to go get something to eat, and instead of going to the evening meeting... I feel so good about this, I'm just going to go back to the hotel room, and lay down for a couple hours, and I'll get up and get ready for the service. So she does just exactly that. And then when she wakes up, she's getting ready to come back to the convention center for the evening service, and she realizes whatever the problem was in her body has disappeared. Now nobody had to pray for her. As a matter of fact, she came back to the the, um, book table where, where the crew was working, told us the story. That's how we found out, told us the story wanted us to pass it along to Brother Hagen, and, uh, you know, make sure everybody got the testimony of what, what happened and what took place. And she said, you know, I'm almost disappointed I didn't get to get in the healing line. I heard so much about Brother Hagen and his healing and all, and I'm almost disappointed that I couldn't get in the healing line. But she said, I guess I'll just satis- be satisfied with my healing. And I thought that's pretty smart. Now think about what happened. Nobody had to pray. Nobody had to pray another prayer. Nobody had to make another confession. She was already in faith when she removed the roadblock to her healing. It flowed uh, flowed easily, not instantly, but easily within a matter of a couple hours. Now back to 1 John chapter 3. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Then have we confidence toward God. And here's what our confidence tells us. Here's what our confidence will produce. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Isn't that what Jesus said he did? Jesus said, the Father has not left me alone. He that sent me has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing in his sight. John says... When your heart doesn't condemn you because you're walking in love, he'll elaborate on that in the next few verses. When your heart doesn't condemn you because you know you're walking in love, then you have the kind of confidence that comes from knowing that you're living pleasing to God. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. Here's what we keep. This is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ And love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments, the commandment of love, faith and love, dwelleth in him. Now that's what they wanted to stone Jesus for when he said, My father and I are one. John is telling us by the Holy Ghost, when you walk in love, you're doing the same thing Jesus did and you're just as much one with the Father as Jesus was. the keep of his commandments dwelleth in him and he God in him or in us and hereby we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us now folks I want to remind you Paul said in writing to the Romans that Jesus was raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness by the spirit of holiness do you know what what power you were born again of the spirit of holiness The Bible commands us, Old Testament and New Testament, be holy, be ye holy, even as he, God, is holy. Our natural minds reject that thought. Our natural minds would prefer to think, well, I can't be holy like God is holy. I can't be holy like Jesus is holy. But folks, if you're not holy like Jesus is holy, then you don't have the same new birth experience that Jesus obtained. The Bible says Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. That means he was the first one born from spiritual death had to be and you followed him in that what well, did he get a holy new birth and you got an unholy new birth now the bible says we've been made the righteousness of god in christ jesus that's holiness Now, notice he said he that keepeth his commandments let me read verse 24 again he that keepeth his commandments to believe on the name of the lord jesus christ and to love one another dwells in god and God dwells in him, and hereby we know that he abides in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Let me remind you of John chapter fifteen, verse seven. Since it's talking about abiding in him, Jesus said, John fifteen seven, "If you abide in me, would first John three twenty four just told us what that is? Believing on the Son, of, uh, believing on God's Son, Jesus Christ, and loving one another, walking in love." Jesus said, if a man abides in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Notice the same connection over and over and over again. The connection is our relationship with God through walking in love, our belief in God and the work of Jesus through the word, results in you getting answers to your prayers. It results in your words coming to pass. It results in you receiving what you need from God. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and shall be done unto you. Verse 8, herein, in this manner. In other words, you asking what you will and it being done for you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you Continue you in my love if you keep my commandments you shall abide in my love even as i have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love these things have i spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you can you see how all these things work together faith works by love and your faith produces whatever you need it to produce Faith works by love, and your faith will produce results. Faith works by love, and your faith will produce miraculous results. Now, the thing that the Lord has begun to deal with me about is that scripture that we read over in John 8, 29. Jesus said, The Father has not left me alone, because I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And it was quickened to me that you and I should be able to say the same thing that Jesus said. Now, I'm I'm taking some things for granted. I'm taking for granted that you're sincere about the things of God. I know there's some people that are trying to run a game and trying to fool people and, you know, live in sin and pretend that they're after the things of God. I, I realize that there are some people like that, but I'm assuming that's not you. It's certainly not me. So for those of us that are sincere about the things of God, what keeps us from being able to say, I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight? Oh, Pastor Mike, I have a hard time walking in love. Well, whenever you miss it, you ask God to forgive you, don't you? The Bible says that fixes the problem. And if you're sincere about walking in the Word and walking in love, then those times that you have to ask God to forgive you get further and further and further in between. You get better at it. Nobody starts off on the top. But you get better at walking in love. The things that you used to stumble over every day, now you may stumble over every month or every couple of months. So what keeps you and me from saying the same thing that Jesus said? The Father has not left me alone because... I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. What keeps us from saying, I am abiding in Him and His Word is abiding in me because I believe according to the Word, I'm walking by faith and I'm walking in love. Therefore, whatever I ask is done for me, and that glorifies God. What keeps us from being able to say that? It's God's plan. It's God's plan for you and I to be able to make the same declaration of holiness that Jesus made. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, sometimes we miss it. Nobody's perfect. I hate that. I do. I just hate that. Sure, we stumble and fall. But this idea that nobody's perfect denigrates the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus did a perfect work on the cross. Now, I may not always live up to it perfectly. But when I fail, when I miss it, I apply the forgiveness of God, ask God to forgive me, and he does. And I'm right back to perfect like I never missed it. And so are you. So this idea that, that we all stumble and fall and we all miss it and we all fail and all this kind of stuff, that's just the devil trying to keep you from believing and realizing who you really are in Christ. The Bible says you're complete. And the Bible says that to people that we're missing it all the time. The Bible says you're complete in him. Furthermore, the Bible says, be ye perfect even as God is perfect. Well, if that's not possible, then God did an injustice to us by telling us that that's what he wants. Didn't he? Well, sure he did. I'll go back to what I said before. Jesus was raised from the dead by the spirit of holiness. You live by the spirit of holiness. Romans eight eleven says, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he'll quicken your mortal body. What spirit raised Jesus from the dead? The spirit of holiness. The spirit of holiness will quicken your mortal body. Now we're commanded to keep the commandments of God. But remember there's only one commandment. That is to believe in Jesus. Believe on Jesus literally. Not just in but on. That means to believe the word. Because he is the word made flesh. To believe the word and walk in love. That's the only commandment we have. How many of you can say you do that? Then you ought to be able to say like Jesus. I always do the things that are pleasing in God's sight. And look at the benefits that the Bible says over and over again that belong to you. You're abiding in him and his word abides in you. And whatever you ask you get. Now this word ask in John 15 7 is not pray. It's talking about whatever you call for or require. It's talking about your words coming to pass. If you'll notice Jesus didn't do a lot of praying when it came to ministry. They prayed a lot. Between ministry times, he prayed a lot overnight and stuff like that. But when it comes to ministering to people, Jesus doesn't do much praying at all. He makes declarations, he makes statements of fact. He speaks according to what he knows is the will of God. So he did his praying in between time to charge himself and to get himself ready for ministry. But when it comes to ministry itself, He didn't do much praying at all. You can't ever find where Jesus had a sick person come to him and he had to go to prayer to find out if it was God's will to heal him. You didn't ever find a time where Jesus was encouraged or entreated by somebody to minister to them and he had to pray for extra power. None of that. Even at times where the power didn't work, like in Nazareth, Mark chapter 6, he could in his own own hometown of Nazareth do no mighty work. Even in times like that, he didn't stop and pray for more power. He just started teaching the word. Because the word is a source of faith. And faith activates the power. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's been dealing with me. I'm, I'm skirting around it, but I might as well just come out and say. God's been dealing with me about speaking and saying. I always do the things that please him. And man, when I first started several weeks ago, I almost had to whisper it because it's so far into my natural way of thinking. And of course, the devil's always right there. Who do you think you are? I used to shy away from that question, but now I started to stop and think about it. Well, who do I think I am? And, who do, and is who I think I am in line with what the Bible says that God thinks I am? I had to change some of my thinking because who I thought I was didn't line up and didn't measure up to what God said about me. Same may be true for you. So the devil's always right there. Who do you think you are? A good answer for that is always the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but you miss it. You fail. Well, yeah, I have failed. I have missed it. But it's been quite a while. I started thinking it up. It's been quite a while since I took a step outside of love. I was surprised at how long it was. Man, it used to to be I couldn't get through a day without making some step outside of love. And that's when the Lord started dealing with me about saying and confessing. I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. The more I say it, the more incentive it gives me to walk in love the stronger I'm getting in it. And isn't that what we're supposed to do with the Word? Aren't we supposed to take the Word and personalize it and confess it? Even if it does, even if our lives don't seem to measure up to what the Bible says? Isn't that what the Bible tells us that will bring us to the place where our lives will measure up to what He says? Sure. The Father has not left me alone for I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And remember, the whole source of God and being with him is the supernatural realm, even the miraculous. What I say comes to pass because I abide in him and his word abides in me. I'm starting to see some things that Brother Hagin used to say. Now, I could have quoted these things. I could have preached these things. I could have i memorized so much of what Brother Hagin used to do and so forth that it's not even funny. But Brother Hagin used to say this. He used to make the statement, I'll go along for four or five years at a time and not even know I've got a body. I used to hear that and I go, went, I, my reaction was, wow, man, he must be some kind of spiritual. Well, what's he saying? He's saying I always do those things that are pleasing in his sight. I walk in love and I walk according to the word, which is another way of saying walk by faith. I hope you understand my terms. I'm trying to say things the way the Bible says them, but sometimes people don't get it. Walking in the Word is walking by faith. Walking in love is walking in the Spirit. Brother Hagin used to say, yeah, I'll go four or five years at a time and not even know I've got a body. That used to floor me. Because, see, I was thinking with my head in the clouds about stuff rather than in reality. I was thinking, wow. Man, God must talk to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, God didn't talk to Brother Hagin anymore than he'll talk to you and me. God doesn't play favorites. What he's saying is I abide in him and he abides in me. So what I say comes to pass. My words work. My word's in line with the word. Now remember, if you're walking by faith, you're not going to say something goofy. You're not going to claim something or try to get something that's contrary to the word or the character and the nature of God. See, that's the that's the problem everybody always has with this this uh, faith and confession business. Well, if I started saying I had 10 million oil wells, would it come to pass? Well, if you had faith for it, yeah. But you'd have to have a word from God to have faith for that. But if you're walking according to the word, if you're walking in love, you're not going to make some outlandish statement like that because who would want 10 million oil wells to begin with? Unless God had a purpose for you to have them and a purpose for the money that it would produce for you, who would want the hassle? See, that's part of walking in the word. Father, has not left me alone, for I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Man, that's just ringing in the inside of me. Ringing on the inside of me. Back to Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth talked a lot, preached a lot in camp meetings and and not his crusades so much, but when he was guest speakers at uh, uh, denominational meetings and, and so forth, he talked a lot about relationship with God. He talked about the source of His power being His relationship with God. Now, he had a hard time getting to the place where God wanted him to be. As I said, he talked a lot about brokenness because there were a lot of rough edges that God had to knock off of him. His critical nature, cynicism, and those types of things. But God got him to the place where he could say the same thing Jesus said. I always do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And he said when he got to that place, he said the power and the the power of God, the miracle working power of God began to flow in a way that surprised him. Absolutely surprised him. But he said when he came to that place, when he knew that he was abiding in the Spirit, that's what he called it, abiding in the Spirit. He said, when I knew that I was abiding in the Spirit, he said, I knew that there was no limit to what God would be willing to do. He'd get in meetings and challenge people. He'd take the hardest case. I've told you stories. Um, you may remember some of the stories I've told you about how he'd come to... A, was one meeting I remember that uh, um, had an impact on me. One meeting he was at a place. Service had been going for about 20 minutes, or he had been preaching for about 20 minutes. And all of a sudden, somebody came in the side door. And there was somebody that was crippled, and they were bringing him up, and it was this was many years ago, and, you know, wheelchairs and... and carrying cripples in and stuff like that that wasn't as uh, refined as it is now and well tuned and so forth and so it it drew everybody's attention and everybody in town knew this person it was a terrible case of uh, paralysis and, and you know just a no hope type situation from the natural and so Wigglesworth's preaching and all of a sudden he sees everybody's heads turn and look the other way so he stopped and he turned too and he said it seemed like it took forever for this person to get down the, the aisles. People to bring him down the aisles. Everybody's watching. He said every step that they took it was just like a cloud settling in on the crowd. And uh, finally, they got him up to the front. Wigglesworth said I didn't try to preach over what was going on. Everybody was distracted so I just waited until they got him up front. It took forever. Got him up front and got him situated. And... Uh, so then he started trying to preach again. And while he was preaching, everybody's looking over to where they sat this person down. Of course everybody's there because they heard the miracles that Wigglesworth did. So Wigglesworth tried to tried to make the you know, get the people back with him and he couldn't do it. So he finally just stopped and says, All right, everybody's here looking over at this person that's crippled. Do you want me to minister to them now? Or do you want me to go ahead with the service and minister to them after it's over? Well, it shocked everybody. So everybody got real quiet and somebody said, do it now. Everybody, yeah, do it now. Do it now. So he stopped, came off the platform where he's teaching, challenged God to, to honor his word. Just flat out challenged God. God, you said, are you going to make good on your word or not? The person was instantly healed. He never did get to finish his sermon. Because once that happened, it started opening the door for everybody else to be ministered to. The whole crowd got healed. And that's what Wigglesworth would say. He'd come into meetings and he'd say, you don't think God's not going to honor his word tonight, do you? Man, it just caused the faith of the whole congregation to rise. Just soar. I believe those days are coming back. faith works by love folks if you're walking in love don't let the devil steal it from you and what I mean by that is don't, I don't mean don't let him cause you to take a step outside of love certainly we would know that would be something we should resist but what I mean is don't let the devil rob you of the understanding that because you are walking in love you have great promises belonging to you the father has not left me alone Because I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Let's amend that. The Father will never leave me alone. Because I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that Jesus bore our infirmities. Carried our pains. Took our sicknesses upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed. We declare, Father, that healing is ours. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit of holiness, is quickening our mortal bodies. We say, therefore, that we are healed from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. Furthermore, Lord, we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. The Father never leaves us alone because we always do those things that are pleasing in sight. Mr. Devil, we serve notice upon you that we are walking in the word, walking by faith, and that we are walking in love. Therefore, we are outside of your reach in the name of Jesus. The love of God produces and builds a hedge around us that you cannot penetrate. Oh, you can throw your stuff over the fence, but it won't won't last. It won't take hold, and it won't hinder us from God's perfect plan of healing and health for us. Thank you, Father, that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Say this after me. I believe, according to God's word, that I am healed. Say it like you mean it. That I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Satan, I'm walking in love. Take your hands off my body. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let me encourage you to meditate on that. Say that to yourself. The Father never leaves me alone because I always do those things that are pleasing in His sight. It's changing the way I see myself in relation with God. I hope it'll do the same for you. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.